Yes, sir. You are tuning into episode eight of A Hoops Journey. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. If we have some new listeners, welcome, welcome. And for our people that have been following us from day one, we appreciate you. Uh, before we get into it with our next guest, Corbin and I thought we'd just take this opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about how things are going and what's happening in our lives these days. I think everyone is sort of hit pause and we hit pause for kind of a week or so just to really reflect on things that have been happening in the United States because I think power of social media has really made everyone, at least forced everyone to tune into what is happening. And if if you haven't or you aren't aware, then probably shouldn't follow this podcast because we're two people who care. And so um, Corbs, I know that you went down to the rally in Vancouver and just wondering, you know, how are you feeling? You know, you've, I, you and I have talked offline many times over the last week or so. Um, and I know we're both going through some ups and downs, but just want to check in and see wh- what your thoughts are and how things are and what your takeaways are so far right now. I mean, yeah, we're both coaches and I'm just trying to check in with the kids and just see where they're at. And, and you and I have gotten text messages about, you know, the kids not knowing what to do. And it just kind of took me, took me back a little bit because as adults, like there's a lot of adults, you know, we're in positions that we can make changes. And there's a lot of us that don't know what to do. And, you know, for these 16, 17 year old kids to feel scared and feel like they have no control over what's going on was kind of an eye opener for me. And I just felt like I had to, and I, and I don't want to make this about me and you know what I can do, but just you know, I'm in a position that, you know, I can make donations, I can support the right causes and educate myself and, and really read up and, and learn about how, how deep, you know, some of this oppression and, and racial injustice is. And, you know, I'm not a, a white guy, but I can understand at least a little bit about what's, what's going on. And it's just, it's a heavy feeling. And, and to be down there uh, downtown and and kind of see how how many people are frustrated how many people are you know are are not okay with what's going on was kind of a powerful and it was surreal for me just i'm not really uh big on uh, crowds and i'm i'm not really like that but just to be a part of that and just it was just powerful i uh, it is beyond words and it's beyond description about how how powerful it felt Thanks for sharing that, man. Um, I don't really have a lot to say on it because I'm still kind of going through my own sort of set of emotions and where I see myself going forward from here. But I can say that some people have already opened my eyes, you know, friends and acquaintances and also people that are in the spotlight. So I've been just doing, doing a lot of listening. I've been doing a lot of reading and I've been doing a lot of reflecting on myself as, you know, 42 year old white man who's privileged, you know, I've never really had to worry about much and I've had a lot of stuff and opportunities that others haven't. But uh I will never forget when I was 9, I got the Run DMC Raising Hell album. Uh, my cousin had it at his house and I listened to it and there was some just something about black culture that just instantly resonated with me. And then I dove deep into books about, you know, MLK and just the history of oppression, all that stuff, it just intrigued me. And one thing I realized this week is that I've been using black culture for 33 years of my life to make my life better. 
to have music that I enjoy, to wear clothes that I enjoy, to follow athletes and celebrities that I, you know, I want to hear their stories and enjoy. And I think it would be total BS if I didn't do something about it. It's still kind of uncomfortable to say being a privileged white guy, but I'm working through that and I'm trying to figure out what that's like. But I will not sit idle any longer and I won't just let people say things that I know I don't agree with because you can have healthy conversation and still disagree, but I need to do a better job of stepping up on my half and, and supporting the people that mean a lot. And it's not one of those, like, I have a lot of black friends, but when you grow up playing basketball, you're going to, like the team that I played on in Brandon, I was one of, I think it's three, probably, non-black people on our team. So I just need to be better. What's happening isn't fair. And really what it comes down to is what, what's right and what's wrong. And people are going to mm-hmm. pick a side and we're going to see who those people are. But my journey is kind of just beginning in this. And even when the dust settles, I'm still going to be there. And hopefully just America can be a better place. And hopefully it just makes us all better in the end. That's all we can really ask. Tragedies have happened. And unfortunately, a lot of the my friends that I've checked in with, some of them have kids and just hearing the stories that they have to sit down and talk to their kids about. I'll never have to have those conversations with Eli to tell them to, you know, don't go here at night, or if you get pulled over, this is what happens. And this is how you react. You know, just, I, those are just conversations that we'll never have to have. And, you know, a lot of them are hopeful, but also like, you know, been there, done that, sort of grown to just get used to this kind of thing, if that makes sense, Corbs, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so that, that was disheartening for me to hear, but I, under, you know, I, I understand where they're coming from. And I think, there's a lot of white people right now getting really defensive because they feel like they're being attacked and it's A, it's not about us. B, we kind of are. We're just being challenged to think about in a hundred meter race, we've been given 50 meters. That's just true. There, there's, you, can, you can twist it. You can say they shouldn't riot. You could say, don't do this. We've been given a lead. And when you throw in everything else, no land, no ability to earn an income, raped, pillaged, you know, just treated worse than more than, you know, possibly anyone in the world could imagine. And then you're supposed to be able to catch up, not a fair race, and no one's done anything to make it fair. So more to come. This is definitely not what the podcast is intended to be. But we both, I think, felt wholeheartedly that we just needed to say something and that we, and I don't want to speak for Corbin, but I know that he's a good guy and has a good heart and his heart's in the right place as also a visible minority working through this, that, you know, Hoops Journey podcast and ourselves as people do not support um, anything racist. And we will stand alongside our friends and our loved ones in whatever capacity they need. And we will continue to educate ourselves and get better as human beings so that we can hopefully make the world a better place. And we will continue to use our platform here when we coach and when Corbin becomes a teacher to work with our youth as well. And I always, when I think of something to say, I think, I hope I'm saying the right thing, but I'm also going to say the wrong thing and that's okay because I'm going to learn from it. So call me on it in a good way and challenge me and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you should think about it like this because my mind is open and I'm ready. So again, for the hundredth time on this podcast, I said, I'm not going to talk very long and I did. But um, (laughs) one of the things 
I don't even know if people notice, but you know, if I post something on Facebook or Instagram for years, I've always just said, be good to each other. And I just, that's just something I've always just lived by. And if we can just be good to each other, no matter of what we think or, you know, the disagreements we have, if we just treat each other with kindness and respect and build some people up who need it right now and make exactly. everything better. It's, you know, I, I hate the fact that we are still talking about it in 2020 and it's just, it's just unfortunate and it just, it's sad and it's, we just got to do something. So yep. we can't sit on a, in our chairs at home and, and, and do nothing anymore. So. And I think we both say, as we just wrap this up, that send us your thoughts, tell us what we can do. How can we be better and what can we do to support? Yes, sir. We are back. Welcome again to a Hoops Journey. Truly hoping that we have our followers still with us and maybe a few new people as the word spreads about our little uh, adventure in, into lives of basketball. We're super excited to have guest number eight with us. Eight or seven, Corbs? Pretty sure it's seven. Guest seven? Yeah, we did a mail. Yeah, it's seven. Something like that. Steve seven. Steve seven? Yes. Steve six? God. Then we have mailbag. Oh my God. I... What a bush league. <laughs> God. Mailbag was here. Right, mailbag was six. Steve seven. He's eight. Okay. But he's right. seventh guest because we didn't have a guest for the mailbag. Oh, here we go. You're all technical. Hey. All right. It's just a fact. I, I didn't realize just facts was a, that was a technicality, bitch. All right. Anyways, our seventh guest, according to Corbin, because, you know, the mailbag doesn't count as an actual guest. So we are pretty excited to, uh, we think this, uh, I'm going to call him a young man only because he's younger than me, but he's old, has an an amazing basketball story, um, kind of traveled all over our province, um, whether he liked it or not. And we are excited to bring on uh, Jordan Yu. Jordan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, an honor, actually. So thank you. Yeah. No worries. Knowing that you live up in Prince George and, uh, you know, everyone is dealing with the pandemic and then kind of just the, the scary stuff that's been happening in the States the last week. How, how are you? You got two little boys, your wife, you know, you're a teacher. Like, how, how have you guys been able to cope through everything and what have been some of the major challenges or what have been the good things that you've taken away from all this, you know, being kind of trapped at home stuff? Well, it's been different. And I think for the most part, I think a lot of people, you know, we're challenged whether financially, whether you lost your job for a little bit there, or even just mentally, as if, if you're at home working, um, just staying on task and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm a teacher, so I'm a PE teacher. So we had to take our, our work home with us for a good month and a bit there. And yeah, it was different. But, you know, I really focused on actually my physical health and my uh, I exercised a ton throughout the first month and a, and a half of this pandemic. And I don't know I found that helped help me get through a lot of the days. Just something to look forward to in the day, and you always feel better after a good exercise. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we've been hanging in there. Uh, the family's doing good though, and uh, we developed some routines with the kids and uh, their schoolwork and and all that. So, yeah, it's it's just you, you got to push through these times and and make the best of it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say it's just it's been it's been different. Yeah. I don't think anyone's experienced anything like this before. No, I know. I think no matter where you are in your life, I think that's for sure the thing and how you adjust. And I think, you know, knowing you as a person and just what your character's like and just kind of the 
I think you have a very positive outlook on life. So I, I know your kids are blessed to have you in their house and I'm sure you did some fun things to make the days go by. And obviously up in PG, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you get into mid-May, one day it's 28 and the next day you might get some flurries, right? Or whatever. So just well, being able to yeah. do all that. and You know what? We were actually really fortunate up here. Uh, we've had some really great weather, um, like an earlier spring, uh, warmer spring than usual. I actually uh, just recently over the last week have gotten into gardening so i'm planting my own vegetables in my backyard and uh, oh, uh just keeping busy around the house so keeping myself busy that way with the kids uh we've been exercising a ton the the boys they, they watched me last month complete my first half marathon ever uh i did this challenge with doug plum and uh, that his his old crew and uh, we did a 28 day challenge from basically sitting on your couch for uh the majority of your last three years of your life to a half marathon in 28 days that my boys saw me do this and since then they've asked me every single day can we go for a run can we go for a run today so uh they're all into it yeah we're getting outside a lot and uh just trying to stay as active as we can nice man that's awesome well good i'm I'm glad everyone's safe and i'm you know i'm glad you have a positive outlook on it and they're doing well um let's jump right into it you know you've got a pretty unique story which we're going to get into but just yeah you start out your life you know at a university campus right? So talk a little right. bit about that being, you know, being born in Vancouver and your parents are students at UBC. Like, what is that like? And what are the things that you picked up on? What are the things that you maybe weren't even aware of at, at that time of your life? Because it was seven years, right? I think you say like university campus and um, like back then when I was born and it was, no, I wouldn't remember actually when I was first born, but my early, early childhood just remembering is not what I remember of university, at least my, my <laughs> own experience. Things are different. And to be honest, my dad had quite a time getting in, uh, you know, into Canada. He came at 16 years old and met my mom uh, in Prince George. He actually bounced around a couple different schools. And get this, I, I just found this out this year. He went to STM. So a little no connection way. there. But what? yeah, he went there. I think it was his first year when he arrived in Canada. He went to STM for a year and then moved up to Prince George. And that's where he met my mom. Holy smokes. Yeah, crazy little story. So when we actually played in the tournament this year and we got that sweater, I, I brought it home and I was wearing it and his, his eyes lit up mm-hmm. and he's like, where'd you get that sweater? And he didn't know we were in the tournament. I told him and uh, he, I could just tell he, he loved it so much. So I gave him that sweater. So he now rocks the SDM sweatshirt, the Chancellor yeah, Tournament well. sweatshirt up at Prince George here. Nice. Um, we'll but, order him I mean, an extra like for said, next year. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Awesome. But yeah, so he came over from from Hong Kong, China, early on, 16. So he was still, you know, still learning the language when I was still growing up. And he had a thick accent. And my mom, you know, she's a quiet, kind of reserved type, very Catholic upbringing, my mom. But, you know, university life wasn't what I experienced in my university life. I'll just say that. Um, You know, I had a, my dad had, you know, had a great work ethic. And he really, he's a man that's, built himself up from nothing in this country, at least, mm-hmm. born to the land. And uh, he was telling me stories of, you know, when he was going to school, he, uh, you know, he had my older brother, Leeway, my older sister, Rena, myself at the time. And he had to find jobs just around campus to, to make ends meet while he's going to school, finishing his degree. And uh, my mom, the same thing. So he was like working at, as a janitor at, at War Memorial in the swimming pool and, and mopping the floors and and, and doing all that kind of work. And, you know, he would tell me stories like he would be, just be crying down mm-hmm. in the basement, you know, mopping and stuff because life was so, so hard. And, you know, 
it wasn't all, it wasn't a glamorous life like we live. We lived in the family housing uh, at UBC and, you know, it's, I think a lot of other families in our situation, you know, young families and just trying to get your education and, and make something yourself in your life. So I saw my parents really working really hard for what they, what they got in life. And, you know, my dad ended up being a structural engineer and my mom was a teacher. And yeah, so, I mean, we had some rocky times growing up for sure. We didn't, you know, always have a lot of money. You know, we used to drive around this old Cordova, like 1979 Cordova. And it was like, it had like the airplane cassette player that was up top, you know, on the roof. And like, yep. it was just, yeah, it's like just an iron tank, this thing. Um, uh, but we would cruise around that. And, you know, my brother and sister, they were going to OLPH at the time. They were a little bit older. And, um, you know, a lot of the kids in OLPH come from pretty affluent families. And we were the family that were pulling up in the, the old Cordova, right? <laughs> and yeah, so I mean, you know, university life, like I said, we didn't get to live, my parents, at least I never saw them live the young university life. We had a family there and uh, as they were going to school. So that's what life was like for me there. And, you know, sports wasn't, wasn't big. My mom played a little basketball in high school. My dad mm-hmm. didn't really play uh, hardly any sports other than maybe ping pong back at home in China. And he just wasn't uh, into sports that, that much. I mean, he loves sports, but his passion for basketball developed as our passions. Kids developed for it. But yeah. yeah, like we never went to any of the university games. And another funny thing there is uh, during the time of my early adolescence, or I guess I was, you know, three to seven. My, time, my years there uh, from three to seven, Kev Hansen was the point guard at UBC there. So Having that connection, not even knowing it, and then coming back for high school and playing my university career there and having Kev as the coach there, it's just, it's just weird times. I always yeah, say my funny. life is it's kind of cyclical in nature, and it's just these revolving, uh, I guess, I don't know, carousels of me returning to uh, where I once was or <laughs> where uh, before. Yeah, so, for yeah, sure. life's just crazy that way. Um, and that's what life was like at UBC, at least. Yeah, so some good points right off the bat, just in terms of like your dad being the example and your parents being the example of, you know, and it's not a knock on our generation right now, but just we was talking with some kids on my class today, my leadership class online, there, telling me what minimum wage is, right? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And like, just maybe that sometimes they think that they should move up the ladder quicker than they, than they probably should. And your dad started from mopping floors to just grinding, you know, so takeaways right off the bat. And also interesting, yeah. it's intriguing for me, you know, I, just to making an assumption, knowing you, knowing your family, that you have two parents that are, you know, fully engulfed in sports and love sports, but that's not the case. So what happens there? Is it that you're just following your older siblings around all the time? Or, you know, you lived at UBC till you were seven and then you moved to PG. And when does the transition happen to getting just hooked into sport? Being a younger sibling is a blessing in life. I truly believe that. I think uh, all younger siblings have a little bit of an advantage. So I had uh, a five-year brother who's five years older than I and a sister who's four years older than I. So they're quite a bit older than I. And I would have to watch a lot of times and watch them play sports. And uh, I remember right behind uh, the Beanery uh, Cafe at UBC, right behind Fairview where we, li- we lived. I remember it was my first memory of basketball is, is them playing against the older kids in the neighborhood. And I wanted so bad to get out there, but I wasn't allowed. I was too small. When they left the court, I, I stuck around. And uh, I remember just hitting, you know, 14 shots and running home and telling my mom and being so excited. And I think that was my first initial taste of basketball. And I, I think I just uh, I immediately gravitated towards it. And that's why I love it, too. It's just a sport you can actually play by yourself and have a lot of fun. 
doing it and you can get a lot better just practicing on your own. So yeah, yeah, that was my first taste of basketball and how I got into it and having, you know, older siblings throughout my whole life, you know, they gave me the beat down. They, (laughs) we have a competitive household, both my brother and sister, older brother and sister uh, were athletic. Uh, Leeway is an amazing volleyball player and pretty decent basketball player. He played volleyball at Langara and CNC and basketball at UMBC. Mm. And then my sister was a stud high school athlete, a uh, basketball player. She actually holds the family record in the scoring department. I think she had 49 in the game, but she actually just took the educational route and she became a, a doctor. She went to school for, uh, she went to med school at UBC uh, as well there. So yeah, just older siblings that grew up playing sports and I was lucky enough to be younger and uh, get to play with them and get get the beat down and get better that way. Cause we all know that's how you get better at the sport is playing better people. So, um, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, you know, you guys end up print back in Prince George and what, what's it like to live there? And obviously now being where you are starting, you know, a, a club and having kids develop and, and building a high school program now, but also being aware of like maybe how hard it was to get basketball going for yourself there. Like, when did you realize that basketball was the sport for you? I know that you played a lot of different things and maybe touch on a, just what those sports were. And then when was it like, okay, I'm really going to just devote my time to, to hoops? Well, um, I, I knew I loved basketball and I wanted to play basketball for the rest of my life. Probably when I was grade three. Uh, I had an amazing PE teacher uh, when we moved to Prince George. His name was Greg Miller and he was the first person that showed me uh, the video, Michael Jordan, Come Fly With Me. I think it was on a, a PE sports day or a, f- a fun Friday or whatever. And we got to watch a movie. And I remember watching that and asking him to play that every week for the rest of the year. <laughs> but that was the movie that really did it for me. And Michael, and to grow up in the era of Michael, I feel honestly blessed. I feel so blessed that that was the guy that, you know, he was my idol. And he was the guy that we looked up to and we followed every move. and. So yeah, that's uh, early on grade three was when basketball hooked me, mm-hmm. but I played a ton of sport. I played soccer and volleyball at a pretty high level growing up as well. So, you know, played all-star soccer early on. And then when I got into high school, you know, from the get-go, I played senior volleyball and basketball from grade eight upwards. So yeah, I didn't know, you know, if I was good enough to ever make it past high school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially earlier on, I was, I was pretty tiny. I was five, three entering grade eight and I stayed, you know, I think five, three till about grade 10. And I had a growing spurt to big old five, eight. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but sorry, what was the question? Oh, just how, how you got hooked into basketball and yeah. Oh, sorry. Know. Sorry. So yeah. So volleyball, yeah. basketball, soccer were, were the sports that, that just were revolved. And, uh, I played at a very, you know, a lot. I, I just mm-hmm. continued to play sports day in and day out. I never took time off, but I think it really helped me with, just being athletic and and mm-hmm. all the different muscles you're using and all those sports and so uh, it wasn't till you know grade eleven what after I made the provincial teams where I was like okay I, I think I'm gonna get recruited for basketball so I'm gonna go that route but um, the option was actually open for volleyball and soccer as well I just I love pl- practicing basketball more than other uh, the other sports mm-hmm. I think they're all completely different sports. There's good crossover between basketball and soccer and, and even volleyball and basketball. And the, the team aspects are completely different. Uh, the team dynamics and, and went on in each sport. And I loved all mm-hmm. of them. I loved playing in all of them. All the games are amazing. And 
you know, we won provincial championships and all of them, but nothing did it for me like basketball when it comes to practice and, and training. And, and so that's the route uh, I, I took just because I knew that if I was going to do this long term, that at least I better love it and uh, love to do it day in, day out. Yeah. I think that's interesting too, is um, one thing is, you know, like we also overlook just the reads that you have to make playing different sports, like, you know, what you're doing and how you're thinking in soccer is totally different as opposed to volleyball as it is to basketball. So be able to like expose yourself to all that and then kind of pack it all into basketball helps. And I think you also make a cool point too, that I never really thought of was just how appealing for, I, I'm totally on board is how appealing practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, you know, just the ability to work at basketball, you know, I've, I see other sports, you know, at my school or that I played as well. And, Maybe that's the thing that kind of just pushed me away were the practices, whereas basketball I found just very intriguing. And yeah, that's an interesting point in terms of like that being something that drew you to, to you as well. When you played the provincial team, who, who was your coach when you were, uh, did you play U16? Was it U16, 17? Yeah, I only played U17. So the, okay. uh, I made it as an underage and that year it was Paul Eberhardt who selected me on the team. Um, nice. So Paul Eber was my coach for that year. Uh, and then the next year, I believe Scott Clark and Mark Simpson uh, were the coaches for the provincial team. And the next year, I actually made it as an alternate. You know, a couple guys actually went down with injuries, so I ended up uh, getting to play at nationals. But um, yeah, I actually was picked as an alternate the next year when I was of age. <laughs> Funny, yeah, I don't yeah. know how that works, but um, yeah. And so, what did you take away from them, just in terms of maybe? what you're using now or just kind of what did you learn from them as coaches that you were able to take back? Cause obviously, you know, being from Prince George, you're probably going to be your captain. You're, you're the best player. So there's going to be a lot of things that are required of you. And maybe just talk about those guys and what you learned. And then, you know, just what you learned about playing in the Duchess park program and what, and you know, your role there and what your coach was like and who were the mentors that were kind of coming into your life as you were turning into a young man. All right. So, yeah, I mean, Eves was a huge, huge piece in my uh, basketball journey, meeting him um, during those provincial teams. And actually the year after um, when I made as an alternate, he took me on a Nike team and uh, we went down to Vegas as well uh, with that Nike team. So he coached me two years in a row in high school. I I, I just thought he thought I was a player he could, no one knew about and he could definitely steal. And uh, he definitely did. Uh, He got Mm -hmm. me down a cap, but um Right from the get-go, Eves is just so charismatic, and I mean, I think he's mm-hmm. t- calmed down maybe a little bit since back then. <laughs> but um, he was my U seventeen coach too. Yeah, oh yeah. So you know yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Mean, he he was nuts at times, and I and I loved it. I honestly was one yeah. of those players that just ate it all up, and mm-hmm. um, you know, he would get after me in practice, and it was something that I never experienced before. I mean, my high school coach. Uh, and Prince George, um, grade eight to ten at, at single A. He was a pretty hard ass coach as well. But Eves just had the flair and the the loudness about him, and um, uh, it was a spectacle to be honest. And it, I, I loved it all. And he was a great coach. He was the he was the mm-hmm. best coach I had at the time for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I learned a ton off him. His system stuff, how to run the lanes, and uh, the quick offense, and all the different sets that he was running and he still runs to the day Whopper, KJ, uh, Reggie, like still to this day, that it's something that I, Whopper, you, know, yeah. you, you, you pull it out of a timeout every once in a while, but he was great that way. But what Eves did great was he cared. He cares. So, I mean, and all the great mm-hmm. coaches, they do, they care so much, but I always felt Eves really cared how 
he formed his teams. And so like the meetings preseason and how they were done and the booklets and sitting down and him, you know, like I still remember him licking his fingers and turning the page and he, he still does that to this day, I think. And it's just mm-hmm. like there's certain quirks about him, but the way he built his team and his philosophies of, you know, the uh, iceberg and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he was, he was really good at that. And I always believe Eves is a really great players coach. Like players really mm-hmm. love, if you love playing for Eves, you love playing for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he was, he was invested. He cared. He was invested. And, and to see him do so much, you know, it was so crazy. Like he would drive me home from practice sometimes. And I'd ask him, you know, where are you heading now? And, he be uh, you know I'm I'm heading to practice. I'm like, well, we just had practice. He's like, no, my my <laughs> high school team. And I'd be like, you're coaching a high what? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm coaching two high school teams right now. And you know, just like it, it, he overextended himself at times, but it was it was admirable, and it was something to this day that like when I'm feeling tired and and you know maybe don't want to go to practice or just. I have I run two practices as an hour, three practices at nighttime with my academies and Dutchess Park. So I get mm-hmm. it. And sometimes when I'm feeling tired, it's just like you know what you're you're not the only person that's ever done this. And mm-hmm. uh, you you know how much look how much of a difference that one man has made in your life you can do the same for someone else and just suck it up. And it's just it's basketball at the end of the day. And the the, the way I look at it is is we get to do something we love a fun sport and we get to help others while we're doing it. And it's so rewarding that, you know, just to be in a gym, I, I just love it. So I'm a bit mm-hmm. of a gym rat, even as a coach now. And uh, I got that a lot from, from Eves and just, yeah, you just see the dedication. So yeah, I think that's that rubs awesome. off on you as a player, especially a player that sees how someone can care for you in that way. Yeah. Young coaches out there pay attention. It's not about winning. It's about, especially if you're at the high school level in our province or in Canada, it's about, you know, making connections and, and having kids be a part of something bigger than themselves. And then you never know what they're going to gravitate to. Totally agree on, on Ebes. I never forget in Vegas, you know, I kind of back talked him in a timeout, which I don't know why, because I played for Rich Chambers. So that didn't happen there either. And he just like ripped a shred off me. And, you know, I responded well in the game and but he he made sure to follow up right he made sure to sit down and check in with me and be like well, what was up with that and you know i apologized and i i always had a, you know a ton of respect for him as well okay so being a, you know a, a young guy from prince george you finish your summer and playing on the provincial team obviously you're billeting at someone's house um all summer playing with some of the best guys in the province because uh, that was still a time where you know the club thing really wasn't taking over so you know the best kids still played provincial teams so so many probably amazing experiences how do you take that back to your team um, wanting to have the best you you know year you can in your grade 12 year but also with the mindset that you know you still need to put in some work because you want to get looked at and and move on to the post-secondary level obviously you know now you've built the program where you're, you're, you know, you made the final four two years ago. You're in the, you're in the championship game this year, right? So there's no more of this like, all right, well, the team from Prince George is coming down and they're going to be the 16 seed, right? So obviously right. you, you learned something during that time that you've put into your program besides the time, you know, the time that you're putting in, but what does your senior year look like? And you've got this focus on, Hey, I want to play post-secondary. So just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so my grade 11 year, I transferred over to Dutchess Park from O'Grady. I played a single A school from grade 8 to 10. 
Uh, and then grade 11, all the players that we won that championship in grade 10 with transferred to a different school. So all my teammates left, kind of left me high and dry at, at uh, O'Grady and the school is going to shut down. You know, after playing provincial team, I guess, you, you know, playing with those other top players in the, in the province, um, I think there's a reason why those kids, you know, are there, right? And um, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I was a bit of a gym rat uh, growing up here. And I know a lot of those guys on the team that I became friends with on the provincial team were also gym rats. And uh, to this day, all the best kids uh, that we see today are all gym rats. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, was, it was nothing new. I don't think I was taking home per se. Um, maybe a couple, you know, different offensive schemes that I can maybe help, you know, or not help my coach, but, you know, ask my coach to run for me because it worked out mm-hmm. in the provincial team. Uh, um, but um, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Like, I, sorry to cut you off. That's what I mean. Like, so, yeah. you know, you knowing it, your mindset and your mind frame is at a certain level. And maybe when you go back and no knock on the guys that you played high school with, but maybe some of them are just like, you know, they just want to be part of a team or like, what are you taking to kind of have them follow you? Cause you're, you're their leader, right? Does that make a little more sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, did anything connect there, or was it like, what were the guys like? Were they into ball like you, or was it was it just like, I'm going to go to the gym and yeah? No, I, I had a pretty decent team at Dutchess Park, and that's mm-hmm. the reason why I chose Dutchess Park uh, mm-hmm. after O'Grady is because uh, the the sports, to be honest, and mm-hmm. you know Todd Jordan, uh, the coach at UMBC, uh, his younger brother was actually quite a basketball player as well, and he was my teammate at Dutchess Park. Okay. Uh, we had a few pieces there. So we actually, we lost in the semifinal at, for the AA Provincials that year. We lost to Prince Rupert, who actually won this year as well, back-to-back. They won that year. They beat us by, I think, four points in the semifinal, and their lead post had 51 on us. Um, I, I believe his name is Evan. He went to Langara after. But we didn't have anyone to stop, stop him inside. Dude. Yeah, and the, uh, he killed us. He had 51 against our post, and... We lost by four, so that was really tough. But we had a we had a shot of maybe winning that championship that year uh, at the double A level. So it wasn't like I was coming home from from, from provincial team and um, just changing everything. You know, I guess working with you know higher level players and maybe you know being a point guard, like seeing those players run the lanes a little bit quicker or or make their cuts back door a little bit harder or set them up this way. You know, stuff that you could take back and and you know you know give insight to your teammates. Um, uh, but but then again, I had a, I, like I said, I had a great coach uh, who knew basketball very well. So you know, as, as a good player should, you know, I listened to his directive as much as I could as well. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we actually had a pretty successful season. So yeah. with the provincials still in Kamloops, is that where you were? Uh, provincials were still yeah. in Kamloops. Yeah, yeah. 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 So did you play in the hockey yeah. arena? We did. Yeah, yeah the before Blazers. The, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Nate's team. My it was my first year at STM. I I was coaching the junior team, and I went up, and Nate's team. Denny Duma. Yeah, they just murdered us in the semifinal. It was not even close. Yeah. And your dad was sitting right. front row, just going nuts. And I was like, "Who is this wild man? We're down thirty-five. <laughs> Save your energy for the final because this is not a contest." <laughs> um, so then, you know, talk a little bit about because we do have some younger kids that are out there that love basketball and maybe have aspirations to move on. You know, and I think especially with the shift from you know a lot of people don't get what the what the BCCAA was like before it became Pac West, right? Like, and just how competitive it was. And we've talked about it many times on this, on this podcast, how it really was, it was a tough league, right? Cause there weren't the universities that there were. So I think a lot of young people, you know, some assumptions were made and, you know, you coached at this level. So just trying to recruit and, you know, kids just think that something's going to be handed to them. So 
what was the recruiting process for you like? I mean, you had your radar on UBC, but there obviously was a time where you're like, okay, that'll that'll be my end goal, but that's not the reality. So were people calling? Was was it still CB? Was it CBC when you're up there? CBC? Uh, you uh, CNC. CNC, right? Sorry, yeah, now, but yeah, I believe. No, there was. Yeah, no, there was UMBC when when uh, when I moved away, but they yeah. might have. No, they didn't have CNC. They didn't. It yeah. was just UMBC. Okay. Anyhow, um, I was actually recruited to UBC my going into my grade eleven year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Enns was a coach at the time. Wow. Um, and our our Jamboree team would come down, and this is the you know the big tournament before the Super Camps and the ID Camps for provincial team selection. So our Jamboree team came down and. We were playing a Richmond team, and that had Jay Lee and Carlo and Bruce Enns came to our game at, at Terry Fox, and I actually had a, a, a great game against uh, that team, and we won. A Prince George team beat that juggernaut Richmond team, and uh, yeah. it was uh, it was a big big game. And I remember Bruce Enns coming to me in the parking lot after the game, and you know telling me uh, you know about my game and what I need to work on, uh, but also showing a lot of interest and. Uh, saying he was recruiting me to to come to UBC. So mm. heading into, I guess, grade 11, I was confident I was going to UBC. And then the summer of grade 11 happens. I'm picked as an alternate in the provincial team. And Kevin Hansen gets a job there. And Kevin didn't know who I was. I, like, I made the provincial team, but I still wasn't that high profile of a player. Mm. Uh, let's be honest, I'm, I'm a 5'8 point guard. I'm you know, super quick and everything. But, you know, basketball's a sport where length and, and height go a long, long way. So I don't think I was highly recruited. I would say I was near, uh, highly recruited out of high school. After provincial team, I got a couple of different letters from some universities down, down south, but they seemed like those generic letters that you got. Uh, they, they probably sent out to a thousand kids to come to their ID camp. So I, I never put really much weight into, into those uh, schools. But then, yeah, playing for Eberhardt's, that, that grade 11, uh, grade 10 provincial team year, it was what did it. And he kind of grew me and uh, he kept in good contact. And um, I kind of knew, I think going into grade 12, that's where I was going to head. I mean, you know, I, I remember going to Salmon Arm for a tournament and seeing Vern there and Vern was recruiting Casey Archibald in grade 11, a year younger than me. And maybe hoping that Vern would see a, a game of mine up there and hoping I get a chance to get back to UBC there that way. But um, it didn't happen for me. And uh, I had to go the other route. I had to go the college route. So you know, I, I talked to Eves about that before making my decision. I said, listen, like, I really want to get back to UBC. Like, will you help me get there? And, you know, thank God he's one of those coaches that said, you know, I, my goal is to move you on. Like, I, I think in that league, maybe more now today, there's there's a reason why a lot of the, a lot of times those kids are there. But th- then there's stories like mine, I think, where, you know, I was a hardworking kid, but I just never got the exposure that I needed to, to get to U, um, U Sports or CIS back then uh, right away. I kind of just, uh, I didn't settle. I don't want to say I settled, but Eves showed me a, a path to get to my goal. And uh, he was committed to get, getting me there and he followed through. And that's, uh, I think, commendable for a coach. And especially now, uh, he, he, I just had a conversation with him the other day and he still says, uh, you know, that's his, his goal is to move players on. He, they don't, he doesn't want to keep them in that league. And, you know, when I coached at Capilano University myself, that was my, that's the way I recruited players was saying, hey, listen, I don't want you here for five years let's work let's get to work let's get you to where you want to get to and um yeah so um, i took that route with him and uh thank god i did because everything kind of worked out ended up going to capilano and having a great experience there and 
uh, win, winning a provincial championship and getting to my goal of getting to UBC. What, uh, what national championships were, were they when you went with cap? <laughs> they were in Montreal. <laughs> oh baby. Where this is going. Uh, who else was on the, on your cap team? I'm just curious. Some names that you played with. <laughs> All right. Uh, we had a, you know, this is uh, what you're talking about. Like um, the, the lo- talent level. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the players that I played with at cap ended up moving on and going U- um, CIS after that, you know, Tim Pershick, mm-hmm. um, Chris Porteous was on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, I mean, I think if his grades were a little better, he probably would have uh, gone U- CIS right out of high school or NCAA. So uh, who else was on our team there? Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Scott Lawson. Sorry. Who's our starting five? Jay Lee. Yeah. Vladi Vidic. Uh, sorry. It's so long ago. Actually. <laughs> it's, I can't, can't believe how long ago it is. 20 years ago. But yeah. We had, we had a solid, solid team. I mean, we were yeah. a solid team and, and that's how strong the league was. Like we went into our provincial championships, uh, ranked six out of six teams for that provincial championship. So we were dead last heading into that playoff series. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. uh, Yeah. It's the the level of competition with Steph. I mean, the other teams, Quantlin, you have Zach Russell, Dan Bastillo, Rick Pridmore. Um, then you got UFB, Peter Wathy and, uh, that gang. And then there's UCC at the time, Sky Buck. And, uh, I mean, just some powerhouse teams, teams that won some national championships. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, tough, tough league. How many years did you play a cap? I played two. I played okay, two so years at cap. So you had so, two. Years, so then all of a sudden, it becomes a reality that UBC is on the radar, and you almost almost made the journey out to you know Jerry or who was who was coaching uh, Brandon? Then was it Barnaby? Brandon was, was Hemmings. So he was still there, yeah. And then Hemmings um, and, and uh, Tex was out recruiting that weekend. Yeah. Um, and Manitoba was there. And then UBC happened to be there at the final game, that provincial championship final, and just all things clicked that weekend. It was amazing. It was probably the greatest weekend of basketball of my life, to be honest. I don't know what right. happened. Uh, like I said, we we head into provincials six out of six teams. Um, no one expected us to win, and we just one after another were toppling teams. And I doubled all my season numbers from like uh, all my stats, so scoring department, mm-hmm. assist department, and um, probably even rebounding department. Like it, it was just um, the hoop was so big and everything was just clicking. And uh, it's just one of those weekends, three, three basketball games that just everything worked out well. Funny how it works like that, right? It's like, it is. Oh, all it I is. need. And then, so then you jump over to UBC, obviously, you know, you're super excited and everything, your first practice there, like what, what was something that you noticed right off the bat that was different than the BCCA. So you go from Duchess to, you know, cap where it probably was a jump, but then you got comfortable and then now making the next jump, you know, you're not, you're a third year guy, but it's your first year at that level. What are some things that are different that, that weren't like before? So that's what life is, right? It's it's levels Mm. on levels on levels. And, um, (laughs) you know, I got to cap and won a provincial championship. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. You're feeling, you know, pretty confident in your game and whatnot. And then (laughs) you get recruited. You sign and you ask, when do we start? And the next month you're going to open gyms with the team. And walking into, I, I remember walking into that first open gym. One, I, I knew the players because I would go and watch UBC play uh, when, when they went out to Trinity, when they hosted Canada West that year. That was the year Kyle dropped 40, uh, Kyle Russell dropped 41 in that Canada West final. And mm. um, just like seeing the atmosphere in there, there was like 3,000 people. It was packed and standing room only. and 
that did it for me trying to get there. But you saw those players and you know, when you watch basketball, I guess from the stands, <laughs> it's different from when you're on the floor. Let's mm-hmm. say that. Because you, you can watch it and you can say, hey, I, I see what they're doing. Like, but uh, it's a different speed. I mean, CCAA and, and U Sports is, is a different level and it's mm-hmm. another jump. And when I walked into that open gym and you see Corey Ogilvie, you see Brian Host, 6'10, um, who had skills like a guard. And I mean, uh, he's one of my good, good friends, so I can say this. But I think if he, if he really loved basketball and he put his heart and soul into it, he could have been. CIS Shaquille O'Neal. He would have been the right. Shaquille O'Neal of the CIS. Like yeah. he was just a body. And then he's got Kyle Russell coming back for the runs. Uh, you see Randy and Novell coming out for the runs. Andrew Mavis. Uh, and then you got Casey Archibald there now. Carlo, Jason Beering, Peter Wathy, and um, just some competitive, competitive people. Mm-hmm. And you you realize quick why these people were in this gym. Mm-hmm. And it was the same mentality, and it was the same. Every game mattered. There was a lot of trash being talked. It was, it was like, and it wasn't like they're nice little trash. It was like, no, I'm winning this game. And um, every point mattered. And uh, especially, you know, you play, with, I mean, if you played with Randy, that guy will tell you how he feels at, at, at any given time. And it doesn't matter. And especially when the game's on a line, like, don't mess up with that guy and your team. And, but he made you better that way. And I mean, just to compete with those guys, um, especially almost in their prime. Like they were coming back from their pro careers and everything. And I mean, it was just, it was good bounce. It was the best basketball that I played at, uh, up until that point for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just uh, yeah. Competitive, competitive stuff. And yeah, I just love for that. I eat it up. And yeah, just one of those guys that loves practicing. Like I said, so even these open gyms, like it was just like, let's go. And I couldn't wait till I think there were Thursday nights. I couldn't wait till every Thursday night uh, us getting for those runs. And um, it's just awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that I'm always worried about with kind of just the youth level of basketball these days, right? Is like having our kids constantly just competing against people that are the same, you know, whereas it's like, you've got like future, you know, Maves a national team guy, Randy national team. Like these guys are CIS, all Canadians division one. And one thing I always, you know, we, we try to do open gym at STM sometimes and the kids all want to play against each other and we bring in 10 alumni who maybe that didn't play at any level, but they're just bigger and stronger. And it's like, guys go play against them. And it's just that those things just don't seem to happen as much anymore. And, and you already touched on that in the start of the podcast is like, that's where the learning happens is when you play against people that you have to catch up to. Like, I think we just overlook what's the skills that you, you know, you're going to catch up at some point, but if you just always play against people that you're better than or equal to, you, it's hard to improve, you know? No, that's, that's totally the truth. Yeah. Uh, it's something that um, I've actually been uh, working with our Northern Bounce program up here, and I've seen huge progress with our players, our high school level players uh, at the under 16, under 17 age. So I started a men's league, uh, Northern Bounce men's league, and we incorporated our under 16, under 17 team to play in this league against the men. And mm-hmm. um, just that experience alone, and uh, I mean, none of these, a lot of these guys didn't play university basketball. I mean, some of them are youth sports players, but for the, the majority of them probably didn't play any college or, or uh, university career basketball. And, uh, yeah. um, but just to play against those bigger bodies. And, and, you know, if you're around the game enough, even as a player, you're going to pick up on some things and, and you learn the game that way. Some, some players learn a lot quicker than others. But for these men, I mean, it took them maybe 20 years to, <laughs> to learn the game uh, at a you know, higher level high school player, but, um, you know, it's still competitive basketball and they're still having to make reads and, and be a little more physical against those 
uh, that type of play. So yeah. uh, it goes a long way for sure. So then you have th- three awesome years at UBC and like, I don't want to fast forward through that, but like you have some cool, like there's some really intriguing parts of your, your journey that are about to come up here. And I saw, you, you know, you guys made the national final, correct? With UBC? Yes. So, yeah. you know, didn't you have my little, fifth year. Didn't you have, did you get injured? Yeah. It's, oh. <laughs> it's a small little thing that happened in my life. Um, no, I think honestly, one of the, one of the crazier, stupid, insane, uh, but maybe meant to be things that's uh, happened to me in my life. And, uh, so we went 20, and 0 my fifth year, you know, I've worked up to a starter at this point on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing the, you know, after Christmas, uh, my fifth year, I turned a, I turned a big corner and I was playing the best basketball of my career. And, uh, you know, we made nationals. And so, uh, we were having our last practice, I believe on a Sunday, uh, I think we we're flying out Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. And, uh, it was a hard practice. I mean, you know, you want to stay competitive throughout that week, especially in Canada, we have that, or Canada West, we have the week off before nationals. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, whether you play or you practice hard, but you want to, you want to do something, um, you know, a game speed for sure. So very tail end of practice, we were scrimmaging and, uh, I drove to the hoop on the left side. And just like any other play, uh, player went to go steal the ball and clipped my, my ring finger as I was dribbling and just snapped it kind of towards the pinky finger. And it, it snapped my fourth metacarpal, which is kind of the backside of your palm on your fourth ring finger. So that bone there. And um, I didn't know what happened at start. It hurt. But I was just like, yeah, that hurt. And, uh, you know, the ball went the other way. And I remember trying to catch the next inbound pass. And as soon as the ball hit my palm, it was just over. Like I dropped mm-hmm. the ball immediately and I knew right then and there, there was something seriously wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember like this day I was, you know, I probably should have left the gym, but I want, you know, the practice was almost over and the baseline by the doors leaving the gym and just sitting there crying and just like, how could this happen to me? And mm-hmm. what is going on? Like, are you kidding me? Like we were like, we were literally 10 minutes away from practice ending. And, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, it was so difficult. It was, it's, it's still a difficult pill for me to swallow, to be honest. It's fair enough. Yeah. Like, um, my whole career, my whole life has been about, you know, winning championships before moving on to the next phase of your life. And, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, my life's been cyclical that way. And I was a little naive growing up and I honestly thought that like I needed to win championships in order to to feel good about even going on to the next, you know, part of life mm-hmm. because that's how it's always kind of happened. And then, so I thought you need to just show up kind of for big games, win some championships and good things will happen. And, you know, maybe I'll have a pro career. And especially my fifth year, I played behind, um, I didn't play behind, but, you know, I was a facilitator to Casey and Pasha. Mm-hmm. I mean, two great, great, amazing basketball players. And, you know, I was probably a bit overshadowed as, as the point guard for that team. But, you know, I, I, I was confident that I was going to have, just like every other big tournament, the tournament of my life, and we were going to win, and good things were going to happen. I was going to move on. So when that happened, you know, I was like, oh, gee, what now? Because, like, mm-hmm. again, I, just like my whole life, I wasn't a high-profile U Sports or CIS player moving out. Like, I was, I was, like I'm confident. I, I, feel, I feel I was good and really competitive, but... I had a role on my team and I stuck to my role and I did my role really well, but my role wasn't like the, all the glamor and, and the glory. It was, 
a lot of defense, a lot of pressure, <laughs> and a lot of just changing the tempo of the game and just being a little pest on the court. And, uh, you know, it was um, a lot of dirty work, to be honest. And um, having that, that blow right before you, you're kind of, your feeling of your last shot to go play pro. And this is always a dream ever since I was in grade three watching those Michael Jordan movies. You know, I had a group of friends that our goals were I was going to go play in the NBA and they, they were going to go play in the NHL. And, you know, I always had a goal of going to play pro some way or other. And I just felt at that moment and just being naive that it was over then. And mm-hmm. uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't happening for me. Uh, it took me a while to uh, get over that. I actually, I took a year off of basketball altogether and school after that year and just uh, tried to figure things out. I was mm-hmm. a little bit stripped up for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about that too, like when basketball comes to the end. But I mean, what a, we've talked with a lot of people so far. I mean, we're not too deep into this podcast, but, you know, I think a big thing that um, sport and basketball in general can teach you is how to handle adversity and like how much more adversity do you need in your senior year, right? Like just to be able to, and then to figure out what the next phase is going to be for you, I think says a lot about your ability to be, a, to be able to take it in and reflect and then kind of just all right, now what's my next step, you know? So that's some, you know, as hard as it was, like it ends up being a pretty powerful story for someone out there, I think, right? So, you know, thanks for sharing that. I, you know, I can't imagine what that's like. I can tell you what it's like to lose him in the national final and <laughs> against against Randy's team. I can tell you what that I, like, but. I, I watched that game. I watched it. Oh man, I feel free. Well, I can tell you what it's like to lose a provincial title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Um, so can Corbin. Um, Oof. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> coaching in 2012, it was coaching. So then, you know, like your brother gets recruited and then you're, you're, you're helping Kev for a couple of years. At that point in your mind, are you thinking like, hmm, or did you already think about it when you're in your fourth year? You're like, I know that I'm going to end up becoming a coach. No, no. no. I mean, I, I hmm. loved doing the, the coaching um, camps and stuff as a university player and I was I was really good at it. I, I remember uh, we did a camp up in Penticton one year, uh, and mm-hmm. that's where I actually first met you and got to know you, and that was an amazing time. And it was actually that camp was actually a really big reason why I, I actually got into coaching. Um, I fell in love with coaching kids, and I had the young group at that camp in Penticton. And um, there was one kid named Derek Wolf who actually went on to have a, a college career, but he was just a little kid at the time. And I remember since that year of doing that camp. He every year his parents would get in contact with me and and see how we're doing. They'd come watch the UBC games, and then when I went to Capilano and coach, they even stayed in contact and they would come watch the games. And they wanted me to recruit their son, and I did, but he he didn't end up coming. But seeing that you could have an impact on kids in that way was, mm-hmm. and that being the first real moment of oh my gosh, like like I did something at that camp where this kid remembers me and he's he like loves basketball and. He seems to be on a good path, and uh, you're, you're just creating a positive atmosphere for these kids in this in this gym, and um, it's fun, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's where I developed a love of of coaching, say in the camp atmosphere. But yeah, I, I'd never coached before. I stepped on with UBC as an assistant coach uh, for my brother's first two years there, and it was a huge learning curve, huge learning curve. I mean, especially coaching for Kev too, because Kev's a demanding guy. You weren't afraid to jump right in. Hey, like, no, I'm not. I'm going to take the junior boys somewhere. No, I think I'm going to be a bench assistant with UBC. <laughs> like, okay, 
<laughs> no, well, you know what? We, uh, Kev had uh, an entourage of coaches, assistant coaches, when I played there. Yeah. So, like, you sometimes you look down our bench, and there'd be like more coaches than players sometimes. And yeah, uh, we had a lot of great assistant coaches as well. So I got to work with you know uh, Cal Russell came back after um, playing a year of pro. He was um, our my assistant coach for my first year at UBC, and so just seeing those players do it. Um, mm-hmm. It was something that I, I wanted to do right away as well. And then obviously my fifth year, Randy was a coach there, assistant coach. And I just, I felt I had so much more to learn in basketball. And I still do, like, even to this day, like, I feel like I know nothing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just like an ongoing process. But having Kev there and just the wealth of knowledge and then Randy and just being able to pick his brain and uh, getting to work with him for two years, like, uh, I spent a lot of time in what I call the dungeon. He had this little dungeon of a office down in war memorial uh, yep. with like no windows no nothing it was hot as mug down there and we would just cut up game tape and make scouts and um yeah i learned just so much picking his brain on on what we were doing down there and uh through practice and uh, like i said kev was so demanding like he taught me pretty much everything i know as a, as a head coach right now of like mm-hmm. just how i'm conducting myself on and off the floor uh, in practice, what I'm saying, what I'm looking for, you know, he had this big thing of just never take a possession off. And to this day, I tell any new coach that is getting into the game um, and in practice, because a lot of times there's, well, what do I say in practice? What do I say? And I, I remember having the exact same questions to Kev and his advice to me was say anything, <laughs> say something, just look for something and and find it and and you're gonna teach your brain what to look for and and whatnot and and just never take a possession off and continue to do it and and don't stop and and be into every single play right and that was huge and so you know two years of doing that at the university level and you know it was it was a great experience and something that uh, helped me move on to the next phase of my career and get my head coaching job at Capilano after those yeah. two years. So huge credit to going through that program with them, learning from Eves, learning from Kev, Randy, uh, Kyle, and just uh, all, you know, like uh, it's a network too, right? It's the community of people that you're associated with too now. And um, I feel really blessed with, you know, all the people that that network at UBC put me in touch with, like people like yourself and just, you know, the whole community. And the more I get older, the, re- the more I realize how small our basketball community is, but how important these things are and that like the new, like the, the kids coming up, they need to hear these stories. They need to uh, talk to these coaches. They need to ask these questions. And I think, it, yeah, it goes such a long way, but we have such a good uh, diverse basketball community that um, I think uh, if you're like Corbin, who's always reaching out and Corbin's reached out to me and asked questions uh, even before yeah. I knew him, you're on the right path and you always just got to be asking questions and, and having that, that fire and desire to get better and to learn more because you'll never get it all. And um, it's, it's just always about the process of doing that. And um, you're always going to learn something from someone else as well. So yeah, uh, yeah just keep, keep that going as much as possible and take that into your coaching, even into practice. That's literally That's awesome, the man. advice you gave me uh, at B-Ball Nationals last year, quote for quote, right? So <laughs> Something I believe in then, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, it, and in life in general, right, that you're just basically summarizing growth mindset. Like when, and I've touched on it a little bit, is like when I was young, I thought like, I got to keep all my sets to myself and like, I can't share my scouts. And then, and then I'm like, oh, we still got to totally. play each other. Like, we still got to compete. Like, we're sharing, we're collaborating, and we're still, you know, going to, 
have to get it done, but that doesn't do anything for me as a person or a coach, right? So just that growth mindset. Then I think you're touching on too with the young people's I talk with my leadership class and the kids I teach, and I think they get stressed out and think that like they're 17 years old and they have to have a plan and know that, okay. And especially, you know, working at a private school where, you know, the kids are pretty academic and, you know, a lot of family pressure in terms of like, you know, we want you to get a degree and move on and da, da, da. And then, you know, just tell the listeners like during your time coaching at CAP and just kind of, you know, going through your bio today and during your time at UBC, like, what are you doing for employment? And like, you're, it seems like you're coaching, but you're also kind of just still trying to figure out who Jordan you is at this point and, and what the next step is, right? If, I, if that's totally. fair to oh, say. So, so fair. And I mean, at the time I was 26, year old, 26 years old when I got the head coaching job at CAP. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the time, 26, you think you know everything and that <laughs> uh, especially, you know, going playing U sports and now being down back at the CCAA and I just... I, th- I think I, I, I hope I didn't come across this way because I, I don't feel I'm like this as a person, but um, <laughs> I was confident heading into the situation and felt like I could really compete and do well at that level. But I had no reason or no business to, <laughs> uh, to be honest, with all the other coaches for how many years they've been putting in and how new to the game I was. And now looking back at my 26-year-old version of myself and seeing how little I knew even back then, uh, it was, it's astounding. I actually laugh at it. But, you know, I actually did, I was competitive with the teams, but you, you learn a lot. I mean, you learn a, a lot. And I honestly, I had plans for everything. You know, you practice plan and you season plan and, and, and you do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to have a plan, but you got to be able to make adjustments on the fly as well. Life doesn't happen always the way you plan it. And most of the time, all your plans they don't work out and that's the way life is and there's obstacles and there's hurdles and there's resetting and there's refocusing and there's you know disappointment and and letdown and and all the things like and they constantly happen and the moment you think that you're good is when it's going to happen the worst and I've, I've just learned in life you know have a plan but always you know what be ready to to kind of go by the fly also and make adjustments on the fly and 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 go by feel and have a lot mm-hmm. of good feel in your life and you know i admire those people who are so a type that can have their plan set and just follow through and execute and execute and execute <laughs> and I, I do i admire those people and i'm envious a little bit that mm-hmm. i didn't have it because if i did i'd probably be a doctor right now or <laughs> an engineer or something i'm something just because that's, that's my wife 100 percent. so yeah. yeah. So there's so there you go. So and that's my wife too. Is like mm-hmm. um everything has to have a schedule and everything. But um <laughs> life life doesn't work like that. And I've I've kind of realized that the older I get and um mm-hmm. you know, it's not that I don't plan, it's just that uh I've I've gotten a lot better of being resilient to situations and like COVID, like no one could plan for this and there's a lot of people that aren't dealing well with this, but mm-hmm. literally like myself, I haven't bad an eye at it because I love change. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. I love um, new situations that kind of challenge you to think out of the box, and I think that's living. That's that's living yeah. right there. And you know, things that challenge you will push you to be better. And I think the moment you're really comfortable and things are said, and where you see kind of little growth in your own life, and for some people that's great. And you know, they have their their nine to five job and. They have the routines and everything's like clockwork and that's awesome. And if they love it, that's awesome. But I'm just not one of those people. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I 
I like going with the flow of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I coach that way. You know, I, I spend a lot of time like watching video and, and practice planning, but you know, during practice, like I'll have my whole plan set, but if things aren't going well in a certain area, I might mm-hmm. spend the whole rest of practice, like just focus on that. But a lot of by just going by feel and I love when practices go to clockwork and everything worked and the players are all into it and, and, and whatnot. But you know, there's it's life. Like it's not going to happen all the time. And you got to be able to make those adjustments and, and learn what to focus on and what's necessity and what's not and uh, prioritize. Right. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's a great answer. And just even just in the teaching, right? Like everybody makes fun of PE teachers, but like when you have a PE lesson, you're not always dealing with athletes and people that want to be there. Right. So you got to be able to adjust and, and accommodate and, and work on the fly. So modification. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You ca- you coach for a few years at cap and this is the, where I think is the cool part of like, you know, are you, you obviously are still training. Are you playing men's league? Or are you working out with your team or like, what are you doing to play to stay in shape? Because then all of a sudden you're like on your way to Hong Kong to go and play basketball, which is sort of cool. So just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I kind of miss like I, w- I was working at the shippings and department, uh, shippings department at Capital mm-hmm. University while I was head coaching there. Uh, yeah. My first year at Capilano, I actually, I worked as a barista at VGH and mm-hmm. I was living at UBC at the time. So I would literally wake up at four in the morning, wait for the bus, I think at five when they started, bus to VGH, work my shift there till around two and then bus out to Capilano, run my practice and then bus back home to UBC. Mm-hmm. And I did that that first year. And that, that was familiar at all. Yeah. Eves, <laughs> total, total Eves style, but I was on a Not bus. even man. That's what? your dad. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like oh, you totally. Just, you, you're, you're a product of your environment. You saw it at a young age and it just was instinct for you. You didn't even bat an eye. It was like, I'm just going to get this done because this is what's required of me, right? Like, that's powerful totally. stuff, man. Totally. Like anything to keep my dream alive. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with coaching and I was going to do anything to keep that journey going. And, you know, we don't get paid nearly as much mm-hmm. as, as we should as coaches in Canada. And especially at the CCA level, and there wasn't much money there at CAP. So, yeah, working as a full-time barista for a year and then shipping receivings department at Capital University for my final two. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that got a lot better because I was at the university all day and it just made life a lot easier, less travel for time sure. and all that. Yeah. But my third year, you know, Nathan, my younger brother, went and played five years at UBC. And in his fifth year, I was in my third year at Capilano coaching. He was in his fifth year at UBC playing. He got uh, recruited by some pro teams in China. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, through the conversations, they found out that there was an older brother that used to play at UBC and uh, six years ago or more than that. And, and that they, they were, were willing to give me a look. Uh, nothing was guaranteed. And so, um, you know, if my brother, I think, wasn't part of this equation, um, yeah. I, w- I would have just stuck with the coaching. I, was, I had coaching weight. Uh, coaching lifestyle, right? Just on the mm-hmm. road and poorly. I gained a little bit of weight. I was still playing in a men's league a little bit, but I wasn't nearly as athletic or as fast as I was uh, even in my fifth year at UBC. So yeah, things changed a little bit. So it, was, it, it took a while for me to come to the decision that, hey, I was going to go try and play pro because uh, I had a good thing. I was pretty happy and feeling like I was just getting my stride at Capilano University. So, um, yeah, it was just one of those things like I always regretted never going to try to play pro after the way my career ended and uh, my brother was going and 
it was just one of those once in a lifetime opportunities that, you know, I, I know if I didn't take the opportunity right now, I would be kicking myself and I'd probably be this like depressed human being, like laying in bed all day long. And, <laughs> um, but um, no, I'm so glad that, you know, I took that opportunity and, and took that chance and left a good situation at cap to go play pro with my brother in China. And uh, had some crazy experiences throughout the whole process, just going over there with the recruitment trips and the tryouts and the tours. And um, it was a lot of basketball and a little time. And I didn't have very much time to to get back in shape. I think I had uh, four months to really try and get back into game shape after being out of the game for four years so mm-hmm. uh, or five years. So um, it was a lot. I was, I was 30 years old. Uh, I was supposed to get married that summer. A lot of things on the way, and yeah, I just decided to bite the bullet and just go do it. And I don't regret one thing. Yeah, no, she was. uh, That took a lot of convincing at the beginning, but she saw how much I wanted, and she was there throughout the whole process. Right? She saw Mm -hmm. me break break my hand. Um, She came to UBC the year after, and uh, I met her. Obviously, she played there, and that's where we met. But Mm -hmm. she knows the whole story, so she's seen it all, and she knew how important it was to me to to go do that and to maybe just get it off my chest and, and to go try it. Did you bump into anybody? Like, did you see anybody good? Like who are some of the ballers that you ran into? So the Canadian tour, um, I played on this Canadian team and we toured uh, all around China. I think in 30 days we played something like 18 games uh, and Oof. just like bust and, bust and flew around all around China. Heavy schedule. We played teams from uh, Lithuania and a team from Australia and then some CBA teams. So I played some top like CBA players on our team on the Canadian uh, team was like myself, Nathan, Blaine LeBranch was actually on that team. And there's a guy named Antwi um, from Ontario. He played down at Arizona State. And we had some guy, Paul Campbell, who played at Hawaii. And uh, we had a pretty solid team. Um, Good guys, great guys. Cool experience. Uh, It was a grinder of a trip. Um, I mean, some of the hotels that you stayed in on this trip were like, the the worst things you've ever been in like you know the the shower <laughs> the sort of sort of swear the shower and the sh- are the same the same room and it's like you know just tiny and uh smelled gross everyone smoked there in the hotels and i remember my brother getting sick for like three days from the food and you know i was in the hotel room just taking care of him like getting him ramen noodles and like here drink this ginger ale like um <laughs> But just, yeah, just a grinder of a trip, but amazing experience doing that. And um, all those guys on that team were trying to get contracts in the CBA and whatnot. But um, mm-hmm. it's just, that, that's a tough league to crack. I mean, only two imports allowed on the team, and most of the time they're ex-NBA players. So right. I don't think anyone from our team actually got recruited or drafted into that league. But one of those great experiences where I got to see what life on the road was like for 30 days playing basketball and a ton of games. and just living that professional life it was it was it was awesome so that was just trying to find our team i also got recruited by a a team called winling in hong kong and you know uh it's a semi-professional league there in hong kong and a lot of these owners are like you know billionaires they have their their multi-billion dollar companies and these are their little toys and Mm -hmm. and, uh they actually they take it pretty seriously and um you know my recruiting trip for this winling team uh happened in december and they flew out my wife and my mom, and we went up to Beijing, and I played in a couple exhibition games up in Beijing. We had this, um, it was the 100th annual 
University of Beijing. Uh, it's called Xinhua. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like a celebration. So we got to play in the 100th annual game there. And that was a pretty cool experience. Um, um, yeah, it was just like stuff like that. And having your wife and your mom flown out uh, on you on the strips. And um, it's pretty dope. Just, yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Considering that I didn't even have a contract at the time. And yeah. I guess that's, I'll consider that as me getting paid a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, th- that's always been the dream is to, to play basketball, to make a little money at it and, and uh, to go experience the world and go do cool things like that. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. And then the team that Nathan finally ended up on, uh, we, we actually both ended up on the team uh, was SCA and Nathan's still over there. And uh, now Tommy Nixon and Chris McLaughlin and, Billy Chang and some other BC boys uh, have all played on that team over there now. And, you know, my brother is still over there. It's been in seven years and I don't think he's coming home. <laughs> His long-term girlfriend. And that's just something crazy to think about that, you know, started this journey together. And, um, you know, we both had these aspirations to go play pro and mm-hmm. uh, now he's over there and my brother could be there for the rest of his life. Your younger brother, your baby brother is now like living away in a different country for, forever it's uh it's yeah, it's life is crazy that way basketball's crazy the, the journey is amazing and i don't regret anything and i love the experience of being able to go at least try and play pro and give it that go and i encourage anyone you know any player that's graduating that doesn't know if they want to go do it or indecisive about it to just go you have your whole life to to work life flies by in, in seconds right so while you're mm-hmm. young, while you still got your legs, go give it all everything you got. And I would say this to my players now. I'm not, you know, I wish when I was in high school, I didn't think of my career as, you know, like this is my high school career, this is my college and university career, and then this is my professional career. Mm-hmm, you know, I mm-hmm. wish I thought of it. I thought of it as no, I have like 35 years, 36 years, 37 years to to make the most of this. And it may not happen right away. And that's, I think, what you're getting at with, like, the kids they need to learn these days that, you know, like, the instant gratification from social media and from your phone and from life right now, it's, 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 it's turning kids, I think, into a little bit of, uh, you know, prima donnas, one, and, and also just kind of spoiled little babies, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. honest. I'm sorry to say it, but that's one thing I preach with my guys. Is like, if you want something, you have to work your tail off for it. And at the end of the day, it might not work out and you got to be okay with it, but you always got to, you got to, you got to go for it. And process the, for the sure. day you, yeah, if you don't go for it, that's when you live with regret, but you can live and you're going to fail in life and you got to learn to accept that. And I've learned to accept failure a lot better, mm-hmm. uh, but then the re my refocus, my resiliency has just gotten so much stronger throughout life. And um, now like nothing kind of phases me. And yeah, so it's just like, I expect I expect things to not work out perfectly. I hope they work out well, but uh, just be ready to to put in some work and to get going at it. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those guys. Who's just like when you do something, you you go full bore into it. Uh, like this challenge I just did, that 28 day uh, running challenge. Like, yeah, I hadn't ran past 10 kilometers before that in my life. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I did 10 kilometers twice, and it's just like, well, when you're gonna do something, just go hard into it and uh, fully invest yourself and see what you can make out of it, and just be prepared that you know, things might not go your way, but get back on the horse. Right. And yeah, anyone going to graduate this year, don't know if you're going to go play pro, do it, go yeah. take that chance, go live out your dream and then work the rest of your life if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you touched on some good stuff with just what 
you know, and I, I know how you coach and how you're hard on your kids, but you love them to death. Kind of just like me, we're very similar that way, but also always think big picture and like, you know, talking about our young people and just, we don't want to create these bubbles for them where they don't ever have to have any adversity. So when they have time with me and our, in, in our program that, you know, our program that we run, cause all our coaches are on the same page, like we might not be the best guys to play for at certain times. And we, and then we may challenge them more than they would like, but that's what we want because that's not how life works. And you touched on that in terms of, you know, you may get that degree and travel a little bit and then you apply for that first kind of career job and you don't get it. Well, now what, right? Or you may fail a class or two, or you may start out on your academic journey or your work journey and you realize you don't like what you're doing. Like there's adversity in life. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about basketball is that you might break your hand in a really random, weird spot on your last practice of your senior year. Well, now what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got two ways to choose. You can you can let this defeat you or you can find a way to grieve and go through it, but also bounce back from it, right? And that those right. are just some huge things that you're touching on there and just what, what the resources kids have. You know, I graduated in 1995 from high school. My last year of playing was 2001. Like, we were just learning, like, how to do a website. Like, so there wasn't this, like, oh, I can go play div two and sweet you know what i mean like you had to be a pretty elite level basketball player have some passport ability to to move on and the kids just if they do their research you know in the end you you don't even have to be like a stud you can still go and get some stuff paid for and see the world right i mean what a crazy experience you could have totally totally no i think yeah the kids in this day they they have it really well uh really good for yeah that that kind of the speed of of how they can get their information out to coaches and and video like the VHS tapes, how many hours you spend on VHS tapes trying to send out to coaches and yeah. copy them. And, and yeah, um, yeah. so uh, there's no excuses in, in today for sure. Actually, what I really like about COVID and what I, the way I see COVID is, is we lived COVID <laughs> for basketball yeah. training. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. how many hours by yourself did you shoot? So when I hear kids like, what do I do right now? Kids that message me, um, what should I be doing right now? I'll, I'll give them some, some workouts and stuff. but. Yeah. end of the day get a ball in your hand go out there and work your butt off train yeah. uh, just get better uh the more For the ball's sure. in your hand the better you're gonna get and it's not rocket science you know i think i think a lot of the the training nowadays is especially for the high school level is way too is too complicated it's overcomplicated. Mm. It's unnecessary skills are being worked on um mm-hmm. i know the game is changing and stuff but let's be honest like get consistent at doing your layups as game speed get consistent yeah. at hitting a mid-range pull-up jumper get consistent at just like a catch and shoot three you know like hit 80 percent before working on your spin moves or fadeaways or whatever you're working on that's not gonna help your game in a game situation right so well and you touched on and you touched on that like you're 16 and 17 years old and working on these funky things but you said yourself you had your best three days of basketball at your whatever your second year at cap, but your best year of basketball wasn't until you were a fifth year in university. Like that's when we're peaking physically or starting to peak, oh, right? Like, oh, so, yeah. you know, you see these guys that are dribbling with a foam roller under their arm or, you know, and it's just like, what are we doing, man? Like, yeah, yeah. Start Seriously. from the work from the work from the roots up from the footwork up. Right. Seriously. I mean, yeah. like if you're playing the sport and, and you want to go somewhere Look at the best players in the world. Like you look at the NBA, everyone in the NBA can shoot the lights out. There's the odd, odd player that really can't shoot or score. So mm-hmm. 
So, like, if you are not a great, great, great shooter, just work on that right now. Like, yeah. get in the gym and, and perfect it, right? Yeah. Where, like, get so consistent at something that you can't get it, you can't get it wrong. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just that mentality of really, I think, getting in there and wanting and uh, drilling yourself to perfect a, a move or a shot and, and not moving on until you really got it and, and going back to it and practicing it some more and, and then doing it at game speed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be, you have to work hard. For sure. And, and then, you know, before we move on to the more important part of the podcast, but, um, <laughs> you know, like you say, right, you did this all at 5'8". You know what I mean? Like you didn't, you didn't pass a lot of eye tests when guys came to watch you play, but it was your desire and your ability to work hard. And that was your foundation when things weren't going your way. So if you can develop a work ethic, everything else will come with it. Right. So such an totally. important thing to pass on. Totally. Now, now there's going to be some controversy here because like, you know, if anyone <laughs> follows JY on Instagram, like, you know, that this man can cook, like, Oh my god. And no wonder is no wonder his wife allows him to kind of like practice, you know, three times a day to run marathons because she knows that there's gonna be some sort of like five star meal being served up. So you know Before we start, a- you wouldn't believe this. You wouldn't believe this. Last night I actually couldn't sleep last night. I would think I was excited about today podcast, but um oh. I was laying in bed till like one AM and last night yeah. at one AM I got up and I cooked this like tofu kimchi stir fry. At one a.m., it was really delicious. But no, I, I will cook a meal at any time if I'm hungry and or or bored. <laughs> bored. Dude, I wish she lived in Vancouver, Corbs. We'd probably yeah. be way better oh my friends. God. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, oh, next, absolutely. Next chancellor, next chancellor, we're doing it up. We're gonna take a night off. We're gonna go out. Let's go. Awesome. Okay, so w- with that said, we're just gonna do a little bit of rapid fire here before we uh, let you go on your way and just kind of answer the first thing that sort of comes to your mind. No, I know what you're like, and I've seen kind of the things that you've shared. What's spinning on your iTunes or Spotify right now? What are you? What are you vibing to? Ooh, okay. I'm. Uh, I like all music. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think um, I like indie rock. I like rap, and I like R and B the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say that. Um, so lately, I've been listening to a lot of Sufjan Stevens. Oh, uh, yeah. Death Cab. Uh, bon Iver. Aaron um, Mitchell has new- left the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bonnie Bear. Oh, Sufjan Stevens is one of my favorites. Yeah. You like City and Color, Dallas Green. Come on. You I do like City and Color. I have no idea who the first three artists you just named were, though. What Corbs oh, is excited. So that's all oh, that matters. Um, I love Sufjan Stevens. Corbs, let him know. Let him know. Oh, my and God. A new one, you gotta download their album, the new album, Penny and Sparrow. Trust oh, me, you got some R and B notes and tones, and you're gonna love it. It's amazing. These all sound like Netflix shows, man. <laughs> I guess rap for, for rap. I in high school I was all about West Coast rap. Um, so like Chronic 2001 was my favorite album. Dr. Dre. Uh, loved him um, but then you know university came along and i was influenced a little bit more by jay-z kanye and then lately i guess with the high school kids a lot of j cole and 
Uh, I love Andre 3000, just the way his, just the way yes. his flow. Um, but that's my for rap. rapper. I actually, uh, I've been listening to less and less rap uh, as of late, but um, I just started running and I found Eminem is one of the best rappers to run to, that's for sure. But so Eminem is crazy as well. He's just angry, but he's, he's amazing. He's talented. Yeah. Um, and then R&B, it was, you know, started with Usher, hey. Craig David, and I love Frank Ocean. But yeah, I Buddy, guess those three. That first Craig David album, absolute oh flames. Like the best. The best. I don't it is was it born to do it? Yep. yep. Oh my god, front to back, so that good. thing oh, yeah. has bangers. Come on. I know a couple on guitar, man. That's that's he's my guy. Love Craig David. Oh. Love me. We were just doing things and people in love too. Trying to find out what we were saying. Why were you creeping down the glass? I see two shadows moving in Me and Gil, me and Gil Chung in our little apartment in Brandon, man, bumping that daily. Oh, that album. Too, cause, cause I got to take a listen. Pa- Pasha loves Craig David as well, and Gil, they must have that connection yeah. there as well. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Okay, so thoughts on ketchup on macaroni. You know what? I'm not opposed to it. And I, d- I don't do it all the time because I do like just the taste of macaroni. But every once in a while, I don't mind a little ketchup on my macaroni in my life. Especially if there's wieners in macaroni. Just, what? Are you throwing hot dog in there too? No, I've, have you never done wieners in your macaroni? I mean, oh, I've I done that. Seven, when yeah. I was seven. Uh, yeah. 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 Don't, don't fix it if it ain't broke. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Your world, you've got like six dollars and eighty-seven cents. Well, I guess not eighty-seven anymore. Eighty-five cents. You go to the store. What's the bag of chips you get? Miss Vicky Salt and V. Wow. Miss Vicky's for sure, for sure. But it, where Randy? Randy said salt and vinegar with like French onion dip or something, didn't he? Yeah, like sour cream, something like that. Yeah, that's I, what Randy said. Yeah. I heard that. That's a little, that's a little much, I think, but that's a lot of sauce. That's pretty tangy. Yeah, really, but, the salt um, and vinegar. Hey, love salt and vinegar. Oh. I will wreck. I will wreck my mouth eating bags of salt vinegar. It's like my Achilles. Achilles of life. You put a oh, bag of salt just, vinegar. Just like, oh my over, goodness! Over. Game over. Miss Vicky's the salt. Yeah. Or your mouth. Miss oh Vicky's the solid chip, though, right? It's a solid chip all around. In fact, hmm. I don't think I've eaten enough until my mouth is ruined and I'm sweating a little bit from the salt vinegar chip. <laughs> <laughs> like the test. Yeah. Two more. Two. Okay. Three more questions. Like, okay, it's kind of a two-parter. This one. So, who do you think is the greatest basketball player of all time? And who was you touched on Jordan? Obviously, you know that was who drew you. But if there's anyone different that also kind of drew you to the sport or that you really like to follow as well, so. Okay. Um. I'm an, obviously MJ is the greatest of all time for me, but I have a little I, a different viewpoint on this. And like I said, I feel blessed that I grew up. Especially in those, you know, um, years in your life when like those idols are so influential to you. Um, having MJ first, and then getting into high school, and then having Kobe uh, mm-hmm. next in high school to to look up to, and I mean, just two of the best in my opinion. And they're they're one and two in my mind. I mm-hmm. honestly think Kobe is a more skilled and better basketball player than MJ is. Um, and I, I don't like to compare the eras because they're different, right? And it, it, you sure. can't really compare the eras. But I do think Kobe, you know, skill-wise and just everything, the whole package, 
I actually do think he was a little bit better than Michael. Michael is Michael, and he was so genuine, and he was the first to do it in the way he did it. And he was also just as great, um, and obviously winning a little more championships. But yeah, I have to go with Michael and the fact that I think he was just, I always felt he was just genuine in everything he did uh, and the way he handled himself like in the camera and, and his mentality and everything. And um, I don't know, I love Kobe, but I just felt Kobe was a little more, he had, he had Michael to, to kind of model that off after. And I always felt it was kind of forced in a way. Like a little showmanship or like a little, little showy? A little like, I want to be the best in the world, and this is what the best in the world is supposed to do, so I'm going to do it this way. And I'm going to back it up because I'm Kobe, but I think Michael was just, it was more genuine. It was more just like he was the first to do it, and there was no one showing him to do it that way, uh, where mm-hmm. I think Kobe kind of, he kind of modeled it after Jordan. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. No, don't Kobe be sorry. Didn't offend any Kobe. Yeah, well, I, there's some Kobe fans out there that are Kobe fans, and I just. Yeah. I you really, yeah. Uh really thought that answer oh that's good stuff i like it okay two more the most important person in your life has been oh i would say my my dad for sure my dad i mean you heard the just what i've seen him go through as as a young man himself like when i think about it he was he was 23 when he had me at ubc and he already had uh, my brother and sister when he was 18 and 19 and then Mm -hmm. to do your whole university career with three kids and then do your master's career with four kids when Nathan came along and to see just the hard work and the sacrifice, all the lessons never took it easy on me. The first person to bring me down after any good thing that ever happened. And to this day, <laughs> if anything good ever happened, <laughs> he just shakes his head at me. If, if, he, if he sees me being happy about anything, he's just like, <laughs> something bad is going to happen. Like, just like, he's kind of crazy that way, but he's like, he's so right at the same time. The the minute you feel like really good about things and it's usually when something bad (laughs) happens or something doesn't work out. And um, the minute, yeah, he always just says, be stupid and work hard. You put your head down. Don't worry about the good or bad things. Put your head down and work. And he always talked about the plus minus effect. And uh, just, you know, when you're working, when no one else is, that's a plus. But when you're working, when someone else is working, there's no gain. And when someone else is working and you're not working, you're of a minus, right? And so you always, you always want to be on the plus side, right? So he preached the plus and minus to me a ton. And it was a big motivation of me living at the Y um, throughout my high school years at Prince George. And he was the guy I always remember there feeding me the basketball for hours upon end and have a temper sometimes shooting and I would chuck the ball at him and and lose my temper and he would still stay there and try and calm me down and just a lot of life lessons and anything and you know vice versa like when things go wrong it's not that he was gonna me about anything he was actually you know he was really good about bringing me back up right and but he always kind of the yin and the yang the chinese waves like never let me get too high never let me get too low and just a strong guiding force in my life even when i stepped away from basketball because i did step away coaching and playing all together after my pro stint uh, my short pro career uh, I took four years off of basketball and um, he was always the guy that told me too he's like you know I think you're meant to to be in the game be involved in the game and I've seen you coach and I I think you should continue to do that and follow your passion and your career in life and so I, I ended up leaving 
the security industry, which I was in for four years and moving along quite nicely and actually and took a chance on running Northern Bounce. And from then on, I got recruited uh, by a private school to come be a PE teacher and uh, life ever since I've kind of made that jump of really putting my passion project and my, my, my true aspirations in life at the forefront. Um, other good things have just been happening. And, and um, yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to my dad for, in, for, for always believing in me and, and believing um, that basketball is, is, you know, a big part of my life and should always be a big part of my life. And I kind of always knew that, but you need that, you know, especially your, your father figure and your mother and to help you guide you in life. And um, he, I think both my parents have done a pretty good job with that and uh, letting me decide what I need to decide and do and make decisions on my own, but um, just being supportive either way of what happens. And uh, yeah, I'd say my parents, but my dad uh, for sure in the, in the basketball sense. And then the last one, which rattles people, but you clearly have done your homework here. So if you could do it all again, you would. Oh, well, uh, actually, there's a lot of things that I would do over again because my life was not perfect uh, by any means. Um, I think uh, looking back, uh, probably, I think go try and play pro right away. Uh, I think I would have, I would have moved on in my life. Uh, My life would have took a different direction for sure, but I think it would have moved. I don't want to say the more like the way it was planned to move because I just talked about that. I don't know. I, I just think um, I, I probably would have finished my education actually a little sooner. I, I finished my education mm-hmm. in 2010, uh, my history degree after coming back, after coaching, after playing. So, um, yeah, I think just go playing pro right away, getting that out of my system and then being able to move on with my life. And because I, I do think taking that year off and not playing, it kind of put me in limbo for for a little bit for sure. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I think all experience in life is good if you can learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But um, and you know things are meant to be. And but yeah, I think I think I just would have progressed and maybe got to where I am right now maybe a little sooner. But who knows? Uh, if all this didn't happen, I, I'm not sure if I would have moved back to Prince George and if Northern Bounce would have started. And you know, right now to this day, uh, Northern Bounce has been like the biggest the, the, the thing I'm most proud of uh, for starting for. Because it wasn't like for myself, it was for my community and for these players that I don't even know or didn't know when I started it. But um, mm-hmm. the tremendous impact that you can have on on your community and players' lives and uh, just giving back to what all the other coaches that I've had in my life have given to me. Um, I just think that's is what I need to do. And I've learned so much that it'd be, I think, wrong to not share that experience or my experiences with someone else to help them out. because. Like I said, I've done a lot of wrong things in my life and things I wish I shouldn't have done. And I think if I can steer a kid from making a stupid decision and being like, hey, I've been there before, do it this way and things will work out. And, um, you know, I've, I've helped kids. I know I've helped kids with some things um, just in that kind of situation. And uh, I, think, I think that's that's where I'm heading in life. And what I want to do is, is just keep on caring for kids and keep on coaching. And uh, I love doing it. And uh my motto is just don't fix if it ain't broke right and if things are mm-hmm. working out and uh just go with that flow and uh continue with your process yeah i always like people's answers for that one because usually there's like something that they're like oh i would do this different but uh, you know a lot of it is about hey upon reflection like it's just life experience right and that's important to that you've thrown yourself out there and you, and you did have those experiences right you didn't stay in your little 
you know, comfort zone in your box. You were allowed to expose yourself to a lot of uncomfortable things and took some risk and, and ended up growing from it, which is, if, uh, you know, it's essential to life really. So yes. wicked answer, man. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much, Corbs. Before we go, do you have any questions for JY? Or are you just going to like hit him in the DMs about uh, X's and O's later when he was <laughs> trying to go to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I, 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 we don't need to uh, put it on the podcast for that. So. You sound so excited. Your mic volume is like 3,000. Oh, I'm so like, sorry. I get to talk now. <laughs> oh, I love you guys, man. I wish I was down there with you. That'd be so fun to be in a room with you guys right now. Oh. Yeah, it'll be fun when we get when we can get the guests in the same room, right, and then get that out. But Corbs, anything? No, uh, I, that was just really you know a great conversation, and I hope you know some of our kids in our program have a chance to listen to you know this conversation because I think they can learn a lot about you know, things don't go your way and just trying to deal with adversity and making a decision and sticking with it and just being consistent. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the thing I admire too is like the the just the ability that the program that you've built and the time that you've put in and in the end really jy it doesn't matter if you hang three banners you're still going to be a great human being that's just who you are you know when i was in high school make the agrodome make the three a's provincials you're fortunate enough to be on top teams and you're like okay well which team from up north or out of town are we going to just stomp in the first round right and and you've created a program and that's why i have so much respect and pride for you and you know, the Prince Rupert's, the little communities that have people that are committed to the game and creating just a positive experience. Like you're driving friggin' 14 hours just to get down for an 845 game to play at the Chancellor because you can't leave the night before because you need to work and provide for your family. And then like wondering, when do we get out of here? Because I can only drive this many hours and be safe on the road for our kids. Like you, you came down three times this year, I think from the, from there, right? Like in a van, like I hope your kids um, and I know they do right now, but I think even in 10 years, they're going to just look back and realize just how lucky they were to have you as their mentor and coach and what you provided mm-hmm. for them as a community in Prince George. And I think it's so cool that, you know, your journey, like you talked about those cyclical moments and being back there and building that and having kids buy into basketball when in small communities, we all know they can get caught up in a lot of bad stuff and there's a lot of things that can take them away from, you know, the path in life and, and you're providing some pretty cool things for them. So I have the utmost respect for you and that's why I was super excited to get you on and, and, uh, and be a part of our, of our podcast. Well, thank you so much. I, so I appreciate that and those kind words. Um, and for the record, like, uh, all the long road trips and everything, I, I love it. I mean, I, I truly <laughs> love being with my team and, um, just the process of being through going through a season with them and uh, the ups and downs and just everything about it. It's that's what keeps us coming back every year. And, uh, I get so excited when basketball season rolls around. So, uh, I, uh, mm-hmm. one thing is I don't feel like it's work ever. And that's the best thing is I feel like, I'm uh, living out a dream right now. And the biggest thing, uh, with our programs up here and, um, competing with, with the rest of the province has been more of a, a mental hurdle than anything. Um, just mm-hmm. feeling like you can compete with the rest of the province has been a, a big thing for our kids. And um, finally getting to a level where I think we are pretty competitive at um, all levels of tri- uh, AAA, AA, and single A. We don't have a quadruple A team until next year here in Prince George. So, But mm-hmm. that'll take a while to get competitive um, in that division as well. But yeah, it's just more mental hurdles with these kids. And 
like I said, the proudest proudest thing I've ever done is is building this and seeing the progression of of the the talents up here and and the minds progression of the mindset of our kids and heading into these tournaments now and and not having that shock <laughs> feeling of shock mm-hmm. when we step on the court for that first time with these teams now and yeah, like I said, we travel a lot and that's a, the big part of it is playing that competition and you get used to it. So yeah, thank you for all the kind words. I mean, uh, like I said, I, I am really proud of everything that we're accomplishing up here, but it's people like you that are telling these stories that inspire me and hearing other people's stories and what keeps me going and motivated as a coach is is exactly this kind of stuff and picking your brain and picking other coaches' brain. And to be honest, coaching at the high school level has been the best basketball coaching experience I've had at any level. Uh, and that goes for youth mm. sports, uh, CCA and high school. And I do feel at the high school level, because none of us are being paid to do what we do, mm-hmm. you find the most genuine, caring coaches. And to be honest, there's a lot of great knowledgeable coaches at our level. And um, just because we're coaching at the high school level doesn't doesn't mean that any of these coaches don't know a thing about basketball. In fact, it's it's a lot harder, I think, to coach at, at the level we're coaching and, and to get something out of your players. So. Uh, I commend you and uh, for what you're doing, you Corbin, for your what you guys are doing right now, and um, just the thirst of knowledge that I've seen from you, um, Corbin. That stuff inspires me. I like and and you know if you, if you're doing it, I need to do it more, and uh, I need to ask questions and and um, start picking other people's brain and learn more. Actually, I'm registered for the NCCP Level Three Planning Course that starts tomorrow, so four nights in a row uh, of, of coaching tomorrow night and uh, until Saturday and. Uh, yeah, it's just in, the process never stops. But again, thank you guys for doing what you do and keeping me motivated to go do this. So uh, again, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure is all ours, my man. We mean that. And uh, we, we know this is going to be a great episode and so many different takeaways and just exactly what a hoops journey is all about. And and then the week that we've had, you know, I've had a sleepless week about what's happening in the world and to have, you know, a good human being like yourself beyond just kind of calms me a little bit and makes me feel a bit better about mm-hmm. you know that life's going to be okay and that everyone's going to be all right so thank you yeah. so much for being with us um thanks to our listeners thank you to good lad our sponsor and everyone in this time you know just take care of each other be there for each other support each other and love each other because um, we're all human beings in the end and we all need to take care of each other be well and we will hear from you soon bye-bye